0: On today's episode, learn how a business owner used a particular type of test on her team to maximize efficiency and communication. Welcome to the Field Famous Podcast brought to you by Field Routes, a show that shines a light on the field service industry and the dedicated professionals that grind every day on their journey to success. I am your host, Dr. Christopher Fasano. Before we begin, I just want to remind you the best way to get new episodes of the Feel Famous Podcast is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite pod player, wherever you find Podcast, you will find the Field Famous podcast. The show is also available in video format. If if you prefer to watch the videos, you can do so on YouTube. Best way to find the YouTube home is befieldfamous.com. You can go there to find previous episodes and also the links to the uh, subscription pod players. Last but not least, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a five star review. If you're really enjoying the show, it'll help the show move up in the rankings and other people will find the show. Our guest for today's show is Sherry Bachman. Sherry is the president of Pest Control Business Coach. By the way, as a marketer, has excellent SEO value in that name. And um, Sherry, you know the question I'm going to ask you right now is, are you ready to be field famous? Absolutely. All right. Here we go. So I uh, appreciate you taking the time and coming on the show to talk to all of us. Again, the show is about journey. And we like to learn from the journey of others who have done it and uh, done it well or done it not so well. And either way, we learn. we learn either way. So I would like you, please, just to start by introducing yourself, what you do today, and then we can go back and figure out the road to which you got there.
1: All right. Thanks for having me, Chris. My name is, uh, as you said, Sherry Spencer Bachman. And I used to own Spencer Pest Services. And today I am the pest control business coach. And I help other pest control business owners remove the chaos out of their business and allow themselves to function as business owners instead of having the business own them.
0: Mm. That's a great line right there. That's a very good line because that happens, right? It happens all too yes, much. So, too um, much. I this is the, always the the question, right? Why pest? How pest? Um, <laughs> I ask this of people whether it's lawn or something like this. I always want to know: is it familial? You know, is it in the family or something like that? Tell me your <laughs> pest story and how 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 you began that journey.
1: So my story started with my dad. So in 1978, my dad came home and told us he bought a pest control company. And we all looked at him like he was kind of crazy because my dad's background was accounting and commercial real estate. And we're like, what? What? A pest control company? Like, why bugs? Ick, right? (laughs) And so um, he bought it because it was a great business model and he bought it as an investment. And that was in 1978. He bought Fast it to forward. own
0: a Sherry? Like he was just going to buy it as a pure investment, but he wasn't going to run pure it? Pure investment. Ma- okay, all
1: right. Um, grow it, flip yep. it okay. uh, type of deal. Yep. He, um, The company he acquired actually was one of the first mom and pop acquisitions from a bunch of ex Orkin guys. Hmm. Uh, the company was called the Martin Company, and it was back in the 70s. So uh, it was... Um, Yeah. Recurring revenue. The pest control business model is a great business model. So he looked at it for that and always wanted to own his own business. Knew nothing about pest control Mm -hmm. when he bought it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he he had people to help him learn the industry and run the business for him. And he operated as CEO and CFO of, of the corporation.
0: And so you were how old at that point? You were young. I was 17. You were 17. Okay. So <laughs> then where did now do you, so that's in your family now, right? So how mm-hmm. you, do you get involved with that business or
1: others? So I was actually in the software business doing customer support and training people how to use software in the construction industry. Okay, And my dad asked if I would come in and take their manual books to computer format okay. and help do the data conversion and, you know, just train the people and guide and direct them as to what they needed to do. I'm a firm believer in systems and processes. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me to come help. And so I did in 1990 and never left. That was it. (laughs) That That was was it. it. I fell in love with the business. I fell in love with the customer service aspects of the business. And I fell in love with the people we employed and how we could make an impact on their lives by bettering their journey and their, you know, uh, learning and Mm -hmm. their income and benefits Mm -hmm. and teach them and improve them
0: you know i've I've talked to a lot of people doing this and just being in the space what i hear a lot about is culture and i hear a lot about Mm -hmm. the people and you know Yes, when you talk to some any business owner, they're gonna say they're gonna say these things. I hear about training and culture. I think those are the two things that get if I had to make like a word cloud and I put it together, <laughs> I bet you I'd see those. So do you feel that way? Like when you're building a business like this, these are things that really, really matter.
1: Oh yeah. yeah? Thousand percent. Okay. So culture's everything. That's what I that's what I've just heard from somebody. Everything. everything.
0: You've got to pick one thing. Culture is everything.
1: Culture is everything. And when I took over the the, so when I went to work for my dad and stayed, we had five locations and um, I became branch, like I went in as CSR and then moved to sales and then went in as a branch manager and Eventually took over the Florida district and then took over as president of the whole company. And when I did, I had offices that I really enjoyed going to, and we had a lot mm. of fun, and we accomplished a lot. And then I had offices that I hate to admit I called my redheaded stepchildren <laughs> because
0: they just had a different. And being feel. the mother
1: of two redheads, <laughs> you, you know, can but, say that. Uh, That's funny. I can say that. You but can say it. it was kind of like, mm. why don't I like going to those offices? I could never figure out why until I learned about culture. And those offices took the culture of the manager or the employees because my culture wasn't wasn't embraced in those branches. Yep. And so their achievement was not good and they never hit their goals, they never grew. They And like I said, I didn't spend a lot of time with them where the offices that had the culture that was me and I defined, we had a great time and we flourished. And my employees stayed longer; they were loyal, they were a part of the team. Versus having that revolving door where employees were going in and out in so the other two branches.
0: Let, let me ask you this: This is from like from a coaching perspective. I imagine you get a, like issues and people come to you. And they have they have they have things they want to correct or they're looking for advice. If someone if someone has these issues, I imagine a lot of companies do. There's culture problem. a problem with culture. Mm-hmm. There's like a stale air. It's just not not good. Is it a difficult fix? In other words, because it, it involves your people. Sometimes it could involve possibly terminating some people. Sometimes it could involve mm-hmm. making changes. So a lot, and that those types of changes are the ones in business that get resisted a lot. Not a lot of managers or people mm-hmm. want to do that, right? Do mm-hmm. you find this is a difficult fix, or it's just more of a willingness to actually do it? If that if that makes sense.
1: Think, well, definitely a willingness to do it, um, and. So many owners I talk to, it's like, well, do you have core values to find? And he's like, well, yeah, but I couldn't say them off the top then of my tongue. Right. Then they don't. Right. And, they re- and if you as the owner can't say them off the top of your tongue, then your people don't right. know what they are. Right. Yep. And you should hire to them, fire to them, discipline to them, hold people accountable to them. Your people should be able to literally, if you ask what they are, they should be spitting them off. Mm-hmm. And they should be living by them. And if they're not and they don't know them, you you're not living right. your culture. It's not there. Yep. It's not there. And then the other thing is, is when somebody doesn't match your core values or is not living them, you have to be willing to mm-hmm. make those tough decisions mm-hmm. to trade that employee to another team right mm-hmm. they need to they need to go find a job elsewhere you mm-hmm. need to help them find employment elsewhere because the rest of your team is watching you and if you're not living your culture then they don't have respect for the culture yeah
0: either. it's like it's like parenting you have to you have to follow through like you can't if you have mm-hmm. if you're going to have a set of rules or guidelines once you start mm-hmm. letting things slide with someone you run, it gets, it can go run amok. You have to, and it's accountability always, right? You gotta be holding, and it's very difficult. I, I, being a manager, I understand now, I understand how that works. It's one of the most difficult things you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, it's important on a lot of levels and I'm learning it too in my own life, just because you're trying to build a team and you're trying to build, and they have to look at you and know what, being consistent, what you're saying to me, you're saying to Bob, you're saying to Sue, everybody's getting the mm-hmm. same thing, right? So that, that obviously very much so matters. Um, um, so this, so that word cloud would hold then definitely mm-hmm. culture Absolutely. And, and training. Uh, and I guess that goes along with culture, reinvesting in your people, making sure they're having mm-hmm. a good longevity that you believe in that as well. I imagine as
1: a tenant. Oh, a hundred percent. Because if you're not taking, like, everybody's like, well, I don't have time to train. We're so busy. We don't have to. And it's like, right, you don't which have time not say a lot. to train. Yes. Yep right you don't i mean you really don't have time not to train so if you invest in your people today and yes it's going to take your time and time's something we can't get more of right but if we take the time today they're going to be better tomorrow and we're not going to be replacing right so the cost of hiring is so expensive and today it's so hard it's hard people. it's one of the big,
0: big, biggest biggest so complaints in scale that i'm hearing right 100% the, yeah. yeah yeah it's
1: yeah. it's one of those things that everybody's struggling with across the board, across the country. Mm -hmm. And so if we're not taking the time to train and to identify that this isn't a good fit, they're not a good culture fit, they're not capable of learning the training, let's quit trying to work with them because we were hoping and we're desperate. Let's pull the trigger and, and go to the next person. And sometimes it's taking... Two, three hires before we get a really mm-hmm. good person on mm-hmm. board. So,
0: will you take me through the growth of the company a bit? Just, just curious to know like how uh, how it ebbed and flowed, um, and and what that looked like. Did you did you go through rapid periods, or was it fairly sustained? And um, just tell me a little bit about that and some of the growing pains there in, in growing a business, because as we all know, it's you know you all of a sudden you're growing and then you're scaling and then new problems come and they rise so tell me oh, yeah. you, you're a systems person so that you recognize this first and foremost how to build a support when scale so it would be mm-hmm. good to get your take on that growth
1: Yeah. So lots of lessons learned there and um, lots of mistakes made. Mm -hmm. I remember having a conversation with my dad one time saying, gee, dad, if I'd known I was coming to work for you, I'd have gone and worked for one of the big guys so I could learn the business and learn the industry and kind of not feel like I'm reinventing the wheel all the time. Or is this decision really going to impact the business or not? And Then you fail. And out of that failure comes a lesson. And then it's like, well, that didn't work. Let's let's try this. And I will say it wasn't until I really started getting involved in the industry and involved in like state um, associations and MPMA and attending things and meeting people and asking questions that. I felt like I was finally getting it. You Mm -hmm. know, um, there were so many people in this industry that said, come visit. Like, I remember the first person, one of the first people I met was Harvey Massey. Mm. And, um, it was at a good to great conference that bear put, I think it was bear that put it on back like in the nineties and or early two thousands. And, and he's like, just come visit. Sherry, just come visit. And I'm like, what? I can come visit See, really? And uh, so I spent two days over there with some great members of their team. And they taught me things that I used in my business up till the day I sold. And I teach to my clients today because mm-hmm. they were so valuable.
0: That I mean, so in in the in the growth lessons, um, tell me a little bit about like systems and those sorts of things. So you wanted to get it, you started it from the beginning, I imagine, and did you need to alter that as you started to hit a, a period of growth? The, in other words, do you think about it like in a formula way? Once you hit certain revenue, or once you hit certain customer number it should trigger certain things or what what are people what should people be looking at if you will <laughs> as to know when they should probably kick in the next level of process and scale
1: so I think you have to I, I don't I never was able to really tie it to a number as much as, so I am a change person, love change, love to implement, implement two things. Used to scare the daylights out of my team because it's like, oh no, she went to another no. conference. What'd she what, get get to what is she going to do? What'd you get? And she's going to want all this done. And I'd walk in and go, guess what? We're doing this. And I want it done by next week. And they'd look at me like, are you crazy? And and I didn't know how to make it happen. I just knew what I wanted right. done, and And I fortunately had some great people who could mm-hmm. make it happen or ask questions and we'd finally get to the process. So we had some implementation failures initially, but what I learned was what got you to today isn't going to get you to tomorrow. So yep. what got you here, isn't going to get you there just because what you're doing is working. Doesn't mean it's going to work. If you have twice the number of employees, twice the number of texts, twice the number of CSRs, twice the number of salespeople. Um, and so to constantly be looking at processes, especially in quarter four and quarter one, when we're slower, it's like, okay, let's keep track of what didn't work while we were super busy. Like, did we fail to hire soon enough? Were we not watching numbers? Were we, you know, did the process for scheduling not work? What is it that didn't, that was cumbersome mm-hmm. or created headaches that didn't work this past season. And let's just keep a list because mm-hmm. fixing some stuff during chaos, you can. right? But some stuff to really think it through right, and get can, it right yep. takes additional. So it's like, all right, now let's look at this list come October and let's put a plan together as to what projects we're going to, you know, why is this an issue? What is, is it really a bigger issue? And are there a few things related in the, and who's the best to create this solution and let's work on these things so that next year we won't repeat the right. same problem.
0: Exactly. That's the key. That's what, that's what you don't like in failure. You just, it's okay. You just don't want to do it <laughs> again okay. and again, no. <laughs> which is why you want to look at it and use it to go forward. you it's interesting. You said that you're, you're the type of person that likes change, that mm-hmm. likes to come back and say, we're going to do this. Not not most people, I might argue, are like that. They don't like change, in fact. They might realize it could be good for them, mm-hmm. but they're hesitant to change because when you change, there's uncertainty, and things are working possibly. I'm I'm curious mm-hmm. how you got to that to that state of I uh, let's do it and and how you mitigate the mm-hmm. risk involved in getting there. And is it just your personality or do you have a process as to which when you know it's just there's no hesitation?
1: So there, so there is a, a a profile testing for this, and it's not a personality profile, um, and I'm actually certified in it. Because it became such a game changer in our business. Okay. So it's called Colby and it's K O L B E. Kathy Colby is Wonderlick's daughter, if okay. you're familiar yeah, the with Wonderlic. the Wonderlick yep. test. So Wonderlick tests the cognitive part of the brain, Colby tests the conative part of the brain, and most of your personality or all your personality tests test the affective part of the brain. Mm-hmm. So with Colby, it tests how you do things. And when I learned my Colby, I love change and I don't like a lot of information and I know that process needs to exist, but I'm not going to follow it, but I want my people to, right? And so when I learned that, I also learned that some people on my team needed a lot of information and needed process and hated change. And so when you understand people's Colby and how to communicate with them, I found that if I gave them more information and we walk through the process, the change was more palatable to them. Um, and so we could, and we also, those people you, that don't like change, you don't put them in a brainstorming session, man, they break out in hives and they, mm-hmm. because they're trying to figure out how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, we haven't even decided to do it yet. And that's uncomprehendable to them <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because they, you know, they, they think that if you're talking about something, you want it done. And they're trying to figure out how to get stuff to done get it for done. you. Yeah, yeah. So getting the right people on the right seats, getting the right conversations happening with the right people in the room and and then having decisions given to the people who can implement them. Made a huge, huge difference, difference. And we started getting a lot more done and really elevating and scaling faster.
0: It's so, it's very smart. In fact, we do it, you know, Enneagrams, Myers Break. We've done these things. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned from it, which it's, it's, when you do it, it's, uh, it sounds obvious, but you don't, you never thought about it until we actually was placed in front of me. And that is, mm-hmm. How you present or how you are, like I can say, I can I can say I know what I want to say, and I have three different people in the room. Every single one of them is gonna receive it in a different way, even Mm -hmm. though it's gonna mean the same thing. Right. But if I know exactly, or exactly, if I know it's not exact. I guess it's a the science. These tests, if I know that mm-hmm. Sherry's going to respond this way, more likely to respond this way, or she would prefer that. You can approach it in a different way. You can makes the it makes it more palatable. It makes it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You, so it has as a as a leader, someone with a team, it really makes a difference because you can you can oh, you know how you absolutely. approach it. It's it, but you don't think about that. So it's it's very very cool to hear to say that you use that with a, with effectiveness.
1: Yeah, so Enneagram and Myers Briggs Disc Predictive Index, uh, Clifton Strengths, all those things are affective parts of the yep. brain, which is your why. Yep. Where Colby is the only test for the how. That's cool. So when you put those, those together, together, yeah, yeah, you really can communicate with your people, mm. and we can. We all only receive information one way, mm. and so when you are not giving enough information, like I don't like a lot of information, so. I tend to give people like short bullet ties mm-hmm. comments. and can cause and then anxiety like, okay, to we, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because if they need a lot of information, right. I just they're, like yeah. left them like hanging. Like, what right? am I doing? Yeah.
0: Right. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So when I know that and I know they need a lot of information, I'm going to make sure I give them tons because I can give it anyway, but I can only receive it mm-hmm. one way.
0: I got it. Okay. Very smart. So I,
1: I do call me all my coaching clients for that reason to make sure that we're communicating the way my clients receive the information because it was such a game changer in our business. And what I'm finding with coaching clients is it's caused them to, to figure out that they have great culture fit employees who are underperforming, not because mm. they can't do the job, but because they're sitting on the wrong seat because it's not yeah. natural for them to be doing some of the things that's, that's really part of their job responsibility. That's very, very cool. So I'll, they just move them to a different seat and they, they I'll, they start performing well and it works out great.
0: See that that's, that's, that's really, that's really great. Wow. See, that was just like a benign question and it turned into such a, such a cool <laughs> thing. There you go. That's how this goes. Um, <laughs> you mentioned, um, at doing the, looking at like slow times is a time where you can look and do some things. So I want to ask you about Mm -hmm. that and your experience at slow time. There, 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 every element, there's, depending on where you are, there are different elements of slow, right? But for the most part in Mm -hmm. the business, in this business, and even, you know, in lawn, there are there there are shoulders, if you will. You're going to have this burst mm-hmm. of time, and then it comes down, and those times obviously become challenging to a business because of cash flow concerns. And then you have retention, as sure. we talked about so those things. So I'm I'm curious. Do you is this something you feel in your in your a lot from from in coaching? Like how do I how do I minimize shoulders? Uh, how do I ma- how do I keep people here? How do I maximize revenue in slow times? So I'm just wondering. In your experience, have you come across things that you've seen to be Truly effective in that regard. I know it will vary, but just just some mm-hmm. things you've learned to handle those those times.
1: Well, our business model: the more recurring rov- revenue you sell, which is the name of the game, correct? Recurring revenue flattens it, the it out. The more recurring revenue you sell, the more that you help prevent that, right? Yep. But for some reason, in you know, depending on the part of the country you're in. Obviously, in Florida, they're busy all year Correct. long, but in areas that have winter, we tend to slow down mm-hmm. from a call volume. Yep. And it seems like those ongoing phone calls that come during season uh, and having the proper staff to do it and staff gets burnt out and people want to take vacations with their family in the summer and we're busy. And so all those different things happen where in the winter, it, it's like kids are in school. People yep. aren't taking vacations. The phones aren't ringing as much we have a little more time to think and focus than we do when we're at full speed ahead um, in our busy season of selling. So
0: really in the in the, in this game, it's the more you can maximize recurring revenue, the less likely you, I mean, you might deal with it still, but it minimizes it over time. So that will be a primary goal from different reasons, mm-hmm. obviously why re- recurring okay. revenue is important. Uh, but that obviously will help to mitigate that. You'll keep busy people all year round, right? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And then- we, uh, I found this to be a huge game-changer, too. So back in 2010, we changed to the monthly subscription mm-hmm. option. So we actually serviced our customers on a triannual basis for PEST, and we were 100% Centricon, so that's an annual inspection. Yep. We did seasonal mosquito, and we did a lot of rodent wildlife exclusions. But having that monthly subscription balanced our revenue out from a cash flow standpoint it made it more affordable to the customer because they could budget better. And if we put that on autopay, where the customer, you know, I found that people don't look at things under a certain dollar amount on their credit cards or in their checking account. Like they definitely look at those three figures before the decimal point, but they may not look at the two or they might look at things over $50, Mm -hmm. but our charges tend to be under those three figures. And so Mm. people just, don't just goes, see the charge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they're, you know, one of the problems in pest control is if we do our job, they don't see The problem see goes
0: away. This is the biggest uh, problem yeah. we've ever had to face marketing for pest control companies. You do your oh, job yeah, and, and they're like, I don't need you anymore.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is, you know, it's like, we, they don't realize we're preventing bugs. Correct. You know? Pest control. And, and so... Pest control and pest prevention. Right. And so with the monthly subscription plan, th- they don't associate the payment with the service being right. provided. And so one of the things that I was shocked about is when when I sold, they did an analysis of the average life of my customers. And we started this in 2010. I sold in 21. And the average life of my customers was 11 years. And <laughs> industry standard, seven. Wow. And so I think that monthly, I mean, yes, we were a great company. We did great customer service and I had great people and all those things play into it. But I think that monthly subscription was a huge, huge part because the customer wasn't re-evaluating our service every time they wrote that check or paid that bill. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, there's some other things we played with, too. We did, um, for people with retention, the question always was, like, do you let people know, like do you like, so do you, do you, for an outreach, do you outreach for people about to renew proactively to keep them there? You just l- don't mention it at all and just let it keep going and just can continue and deliver the service. Um, so mm-hmm. that was always something that we debated like in through email automation, like you engage people at certain times in their contract. You know, if you look at data on a, on a bigger scale, you can identify potential points in an annual contract when people mm-hmm. are more likely to churn or to leave. And mm-hmm. one of the most frequent times was the 11th, month or the month before, obviously. And so what you could do, one of the strategies we employed was you send a, it's a thank you something around Mm -hmm. that time that gives them something of of value, whether it's a term month off or an extra month, and then they take it and all of a sudden they're renewed and they're there. So these are some things, and, and did you was was your motto just like just provide the best service and do our job and they'll are going to stay or did you use tactics like that and and in some of your data to drive retention efforts that kept them there for 11 years which is incredible by the way
1: so i found the just customers paying monthly and not thinking about when they
0: is the best was the best agreements
1: ex- Expired. They didn't even think about it, right? We we were something they shouldn't have to think about. We did the service. We guaranteed the service. If they had a problem, we were immediately out there. If you know, it was all about the you know response to the customer when the customer needed us, and being available and being there, and you know. Always thanking them for their business every time we did service and communicating with them when we found problems as to the solution. I mean, the worst phone call I would ever get from a customer was, my pool guy found I had termites. Why didn't your pest guy find it? It's like, good question. We're going to have a conversation That's around it. That's a great that question. Why didn't he? You know, so... Um, but teaching them to communicate and and hiring the smile and teaching pest control. Yep, and and getting great people to who really fit our culture and loved working for us, and they wanted us to succeed. They were a part of something. Um, And we shared the numbers with them. Like, we were very transparent. We shared everything. Um, We may not have shared upper management salary, okay? I won't say everything. Not everything. But, you know, we shared our revenue numbers. We shared our cost. We shared, you know, our goals. We shared how each individual was performing. We shared everything because it helped people understand how they felt. Fit in the big picture. And I feel like people in general want to be a part of something and they want, you know, to, to help the company they work for, if they really enjoy working with that company, of course, they're going to want the company to succeed. That Correct. gives them future growth and future right? opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's, you know, talking about this recurring revenue, the service, the pe- like it's pest control, right. Which is also, is it why you think exterminating is sort of not; it's not as big of a thing. I know people are still using that word, but that that mm-hmm. implies a a exter a, a termination, a wipeout, right. <laughs> and then when the ants come back or the rodent comes back, what what you would you do? Like you you know what I mean. So why would I need a recurring? Exactly. You're going to come out and, and destroy everything. So is that mm-hmm. been a, an industry shift over time that it's it in fact is a control method here and is that mm-hmm. something you try to articulate to the customer to to better increase the likelihood of a long-term relationship
1: yeah cuz i think if it's come from extermination to control and then prevention and I think that um even from a terminology, there's been discussions as I sat on different boards um within MPMA of, you know, we don't use chemicals anymore, we use products. Mm-hmm. It's a safety thing. It's an environmental thing. It's it's the products today are so much safer. They're products. They're not chemicals like we used to have porane right. and DDT, you just right? Wipe everything and out.
0: Yep. and Long wiped everything half out. They just lingered probably. Yeah.
1: Yeah and we could have exterminated things yes. like back then like today it's like it's 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 control it's not elimination and there's environment and IPM and all those different things involved in getting rid of your problem and it takes some customer cooperation because the products that we use and the methods to which we make application have changed mm-hmm. um, over, over the years. I mean, we used to do monthly service and go inside and spray baseboards. We don't do that
0: anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, that's, I mean, I guess a good thing that it's becoming more, I mean, friendly and not. So I, I was listening to stories about old school pest control way back in the day and <laughs> it was aggressive, you know, it, it, it yes. wiped things out. Um, One of the things that I used to try to do when marketing for pest control companies was to articulate it in a way where it related to, I was trying to relate to the homeowner that like the idea of a physical. So, like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's preventative. It's preventative. So, if you wait Mm -hmm. until you have a real problem with your own health, it's going Mm -hmm. to be a lot more difficult to take care of it and it could be really detrimental to your health and it could be fatal. It could be a real bad problem. So you want to go preventatively just to make sure, you know, prevent. Same thing with pest control with your home. If you wait until you have a real problem, it's going to cost you a lot more money. It's going to be very bad for you, for your health. It could be very bad for your home. Mm -hmm. So you might as well treat it like a preventative measure. So we used to try to wrap these, do these campaigns. I remember we had a successful campaign where we did that, like get a get a physical for your house. You get a physical for yourself, why not get a physical for your house and have that preventative right. medicine. So like we sort of, that was, if we could shift the mind of mindset of the homeowner to think about it that way, you could have more uh, success in that regard. So it's a very, that problem was always key. I always remember like we did our job and then they don't want us anymore.
1: Yeah, um, but- exactly. Well, and I think, when I got involved in the industry, termite was corrective. People only bought termite mm-hmm. when they had termites. They, yep. Where today, yes. termite is preventative. Preventative. more preventative. We actually probably sold 90% of our termite jobs were preventative, preventative, especially when the termite baits came out. And we could actually put baits in the ground and and have preventative treatments that were visual to the customer um, and not less invasive. That termite... Prevention is more so is, you know, it, it's sold today as a standard mm-hmm. where in the nineties when I first got involved, that was unheard of.
0: And but I'm just I'm curious of the, the sale, the sale tactic in that regard. Do you have to have some sort of is it just the value, is it the value proposition of what what this what it can prevent, in other words, like you don't want this mm-hmm. to happen, or do you, are you are you leveraging any data to suggest that in this area it's high in termite or like it's a possibility mm-hmm. your house is old like you're just trying to find a way in and then articulate the value and what would happen if kind of thing yes, yeah,
1: yeah, so um you know customers will call you with a termite pro- or if they have termites, they're going to call you with a problem, and it, you know you need to take care of that, obviously, but from a pest control standpoint, you know, people don't wake up and go, "Oh, I think I'll shop for pest control today." Right now, a lot of people are calling because they have a problem. Right. You know, yeah, unless unless they're buying a new home and they've always had pest control because they yes. get it right. Yes. And so, the majority of those people calling in have a problem. It's it's been going on for a while, and they're looking for a solution. But because of bundling services. We're just not going to solve that pest control. Like we always looked at it as okay, they're calling because they have ants in their kitchen, but let's ask them a few more questions and see if we can't get them on a bundle that Correct, would right. in- include termite right. protection, maybe some mosquito treatment. And so we would ask enough questions to get there. And some people are like, well, why would I need termite protection? And then, it's, then you can go to the education right. of well, what termites are, what they do to your home, how your homeowner's insurance doesn't cover the damage. And the worst time to buy termite protection is when you have when termites. When
0: you have termites. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Um, clearly, you're incredibly knowledgeable in the space. You've been there and you've done it. Now you're helping other other pest control companies. So what, what before we close, I want to ask you it, how someone could you know, work with you. If they have these questions that I'm asking you right now or specific Mm -hmm. examples, tell us a little bit about that and where they can, they can go to, to find you in the services.
1: Sure. So, um, with my coaching business, I customize my calls with my customers. So I found that a lot of business owners have issues and they don't have somebody to bounce those ideas off of or to talk it through or to just have a sounding board. And so, we always, address, I always address my clients issues first because they're not going to learn something if they have an issue they need to resolved yeah. that has nothing to do with that issue, right? And so I have a program I try to walk them through, and I do always start with culture. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and um, but if a lot of other things are going on, we need to address that. And so I work with my clients one on one. I work with the owners. I work with managed leadership teams. I have worked with office managers and service managers and CSRs eventually. So so I have some companies I've worked with for four years now, and I'm now working with other levels of management as they've grown to help them become, you know, better in their position. And then um, I I meet with them weekly, one-on-one with Zoom. And as a part of my coaching, I share intellectual property. So I share... You know the stuff that I've created over the years for ah, systems cool. and processes, and that way they can customize it. It's started; it's like eighty percent correct, and they can customize it to their own um, things. And then I also have an app that um, I allows the companies to track individual employee KPIs, mm. so that they have dashboard reporting as well as KPI tracking or. Uh, box scores, whatever you want to call it on an employee, Mm -hmm. so that you can see how that employee is performing. So coaching clients get all of that. And anybody who's interested can go to my website, pestcontrolbusinesscoach.com and schedule a free coaching call with me to see if we're a good fit.
0: Hey, I was just about to ask for the website, but you know how to do this game. So you did it (laughs) yourself. This is amazing. This is great. Like, I always have fun asking these questions, especially some of your knowledge, because, um, and the more and more I speak to people in in, in field service and pest and lawn, um, I see some things that get overrepresented. You see them. They start to emerge. Like I said, the word cloud, you start to see things insert. So, um, you know, Mm -hmm. it's good to hear how people did it in different ways, or there's possible, there's not one solution for all problems, right? So it's good to get a wide uh, variety. Before we close the show, I do this, this is a rapid fire round. This is just like a fun, part of the show. I have like 10 quick things I'm mm-hmm. going to ask you. It's going to be this or that, and okay. you're just going to pick this or that. And the goal here, don't think, you just answer. <laughs> it's nothing crazy, um, but it's fun because you can l- let's go back oh. and listen to all the guests <laughs> and their answers. All right, here we go. You ready? You ready for the Feel Famous Rapid Round? I'm ready. All right, here we go. So we'll ready. start with text or talk? Text. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate?
1: Dark. Mm-hmm.
0: Cats or dogs? Dogs. Summer or winter? Ooh. Summer. Morning or evening? Morning. Salty or sweet? Salty. Favorite day of the week? Friday. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to speak to animals?
1: Ooh. Hmm. Every language in the
0: world. Most people say that. <laughs> um, Scale of 1 to 10, how good of a driver are you? Well, it depends on who you I was going to say according to you. According to you. <laughs> according no one else. According to you. I, always, I should set it to the last guest. According to you, how good of a driver? <laughs> I'm going to say an 8. An 8. Okay. Um, invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Rats or mice? Ooh,
1: Neither. Neither. Get them out. (laughs) Biggest fear. That's my biggest fear. Really? Is it really? Rodents. In previous life in
0: grad school, I worked with rodents, and um, I prefer to work with the rats. They were more calm. Mice would bite so fast. It was terrible. (laughs) Sorry, digress. All right, bees or wasps?
1: It was 30% of my business, and I didn't like them, so just saying.
0: (laughs) Bees or wasps? Bees. If you were really hungry, would you eat a bug? No. And is the Field Famous podcast the best podcast you've ever appeared on? absolutely yeah well at least we'll, I always <laughs> say we'll keep it here I promise no one no one will hear it outside of here um, except for the other down the thousands that are listening um Sherry you thank go. you I really appreciate it I know you're <laughs> Thanks, busy and, and and it takes you know time out of your day to do this but uh, hopefully your journey will inspire others to learn grow and instill a hell of a culture in their business because apparently and this is what everyone says it's a big big driver of success so I appreciate you and thank you it for the is, time
1: definitely.